You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. A couple of years ago, um, we get a call from our son. He had drafted maybe a month earlier, something like that. And um, one of his mifakdim wants to visit us. Is that okay? I said, sure. You know, commander wants to visit us. Right? It's amazing. And um, when I was in the army, they didn't do this. But now there's a midnight in the army that they do what's called a bikul bite. The commanders visit their soldiers' families. I guess to get to know the soldier's family, it also lets them identify. If you visit the soldier's family and he lives in a one room and he sleeps in the bathtub, then you know that he's got serious stuff going on at home and that'll help you deal with him. But also you get to know your men by knowing their families. Nobody even thought about this when I was in the army. I never visited any of my soldier's families. Maybe I would meet them. I don't even remember them from a techs or something. So I'd heard about this, but I never experienced it. I was a little excited. Now, your ears, you may know, he drafted to a pretty unit. He spent, like, I don't know, a year, year and a half preparing for this. And, um, you know, I mean, I met a couple of the guys who were, you know, in his unit when he went off to the army. And I, you know, a couple of times I had a chance to meet a few of them. And they were in amazing shape. I mean, these guys were like, you know, sort of like the muscle has muscles kind of thing. And, you know, not just in the paratroopers, but in the rev, it's probably one of the top 10, 15, maybe 20 units in the army. It's a muscle that takes almost a year and a half. The sick things that they were doing already, this is like a couple months into the army. So I was trying to imagine who is a commander in this unit going to be. And I kind of had this image, you know, Rambo, the rock is going to come visit, you know, right? <laughs> this guy knocks on the door. It's Friday. It's like 11 in the morning. And it was almost like, what? oh, right? <laughs> I, I tell you, I kid you not. My son will karate. He looked like a bar mitzvah boy. Like he had one wisp of hair that I was just like, come on, let me pull that, right? <laughs> he was a baby face, sweet guy. He was, I forget his name, and he was rail thin. He's like, what is this guy doing in Rav San Hanif? And um, he comes to sit. And you know, my wife, you know, puts out cake, but he's in the he doesn't eat cake, you know. We're, we're in a rev, we don't eat cake, you know, we eat bullets, you know, right? <laughs> and, and he was clearly like, you know, not a big talker, not a schmoozer. And he was just being polite, you know, and I suddenly realized after a minute and we're going to have to make all the... I thought he came and we had a whole bunch of questions. No, he's just like, he has to visit the family. This is the one he was given. He's going to visit them, whatever. So we're sitting, talking to him, asking him where he's from, talking to him, you know, about the Muslim, whatever. You know, can you tell us a little about Yair? He's, you know, Bahu Hamud, you know, Mashkiah, whatever he's going to say. Like, I could have written it about any soldier in the army, right? And, um, and after half an hour, I suddenly realized, you know, this guy's like... I mean, I saw what my son was going through just from when he would show up and finally get out for Shabbat. The look on his, the exhaustion. Like, you know, he would just come in, be excited to come home, and then six hours later, they'd have to wake him up type of thing. I suddenly realized that this guy's going through the same stuff, and it's his Friday, and he's finally out for Shabbat, and we're keeping him. So we kind of let him go. And I thought about that for a while. What is that? Like, why does the army do that? What does that even mean? And... I really figured it out from a comment my son made in the midst of a discussion that had nothing to do with this. He had, uh, he told me that, I was asking about his commanders and who they are, and by this time I had met his Katsin, who was an amazing guy, Hindi, and to him I developed a Kesher with, and he looked like, you know, the rave guy. And um, 
my, my son at some point got an ingrown toenail, right? Now in my day, and I wasn't even in here, I was in Shiryat in tanks, you, you know, you have an ingrown toenail, that's okay, you know, suffer. If your foot falls off, let me know. You know, that, that's how they did it. You, you suffered, and if it was more painful, then you became more of a man, right? But he was really suffering with his ingrown toenail. Of course, my mother, my, my wife found out about it, right? It's an interesting Freudian slip. My wife found out about it, and, you know, we had to find, she found this specialist, this unbelievable guy who does the ingrown toenail thing, and, and no, I'm sorry, my cousin, actually, um, you know, Benji Hillman's mother, somebody who lived near her, if you're the mother of a soldier that fell in battle, no one turns you down. Like, you could say, would you mind traveling to Thailand to pick something up for me? No problem, right? <laughs> so she called up this guy, and he absolutely agreed to see Yair on a Friday, like, off hours, because when does he get out of the army? So I drove him out to Anana, right? And he had this, you know, the, the, the whatever they do, the little operation with the thing and the bandages and take care of it. And the next week I was talking to him, and he said, you know, it was really interesting. His, like, he told his mifakdim about it, because you have to tell them if you have any medical people, you get in trouble. And he was on his way to do Shmirah one day. Now, he got a tour from the army, to uh, like an exemption from wearing boots for a week, because otherwise it doesn't heal. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't want to say to him, make him all nervous Sunday morning going back to base. I was like, oh, that's not going to fly well. Like, you're in the army. I figured this is going Okay, here's your patur. You have a patur? Yeah, hang on, hang on. I, I, I got something in my ear. Okay, like, what do we do? We got to go to Masa. Where? No, they, they took this seriously. I guess the army has learned that it's not in their interest to have a guy mess up his foot in the long term. So they actually let him. He walked around in flip-flops and some things he couldn't do and some things he could do. But he obviously could do kitchen duty and he could do shmirah. So he did a lot of that that week. And he was on his way to Shmirat. One of the Fakdim saw him and he said to him, just remember, you don't have to stand. Now, not standing on Shmirah when you're in basic training is like, I mean, it's like you're going to Gehenna if you sit down on Shmirah. Like, you don't do that. And that's part of training. And that blew me away. It blew me away that a commander, in the middle of this intense training where they're training for war and learning how to take people on their backs that are twice their weight and shooting missiles, whatever... Don't forget to wear your flip-flops and sit down on Shmirah. I want your ingrown toenail to heal. And it, I, it sounds like such an innocuous thing. It had such a powerful impact on me that in today's army, a commander in an elite unit cares enough about his soldier to schlep all the way to visit his family and to make sure that he knows that he can sit down if that's going to help him heal. Blew my mind. Why do I bring this up? Because there's a story in this week's parasha that is so out of character. It's almost bizarre. Parashat Ba'alotcha. This is a crazy story. Okay? This is in Perak Yudalaf. Ve'asafsufa Sherbikirbo, the multitude, right? The multitude is called by another name, the Erev Rav. Okay? We'll get back to them in a minute. This kind of addition, the extra, the guys who tagged along, right? Hitavutava. They had a taiva. They had a desire. They had a, I don't know, a craving, right? Okay? V'yashvu v'yivku. So they started crying. Nebuch. You know, we want cheesecake. Gam b'nei Yisrael. V'yivku gam b'nei Yisrael. So the Jewish people also start crying. Right? V'yomru mi'achilinu basar. We're in the middle of the desert. There's no burgers, bro. What are we going to do? This is a crazy story. Yamsuf. Sinai, Chita Egel, Makot, Ani Hashem Elokecha. Could we have a burger? Right? Like, I've had guys over the year complain about the food. I heard recently the food is better. Is that true? Baruch Hashem. Okay. 
Okay, breakfast is food, right? Okay, one meal at a time. You know, in three years you come back, there'll be all dinner, right? So, 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 but, but, and I've had guys say the food, you know, and they don't usually come to me because it's like embarrassing. You go to the Rosh Hashiva and say the burgers aren't enough or whatever, which I think is a mistake. You can certainly come to me, but okay, you go to Scott, that's fine, right? Or Yoni or whoever it is. But I never had a student sort of, like, if I came into the base management, then the boy was crying. I think I never what happened. His grandfather passed away. His father's sick. His girlfriend broke up with him. If he said to me, I didn't like this schnitzel! Like, okay, you know, I'd be calling up Rav Nuriel, like, you know, you little to pull here, right? Hey, like, what's going on? Am Yisrael, in the desert, is crying over meat. Now let's think about this for a minute. Let's just think about this for a minute. We're in the middle of Sefer Bamidbar. Who are they going to go to? Who do they go to? Moshe Rabbeinu. They get it. They go to the Rosh Hashim. They go to Moshe Rabbeinu. What is Moshe going to do? Let's think about this. The pattern of Moshe's behavior. He's got two choices. What's he going to do? Until now, he's done only one of two things. He's going to talk to Hashem. He's going to say, what are we going to do? we got to get them burgers. They did a chet to Egel. You can't destroy them. Right? It's Baal poor. We're going to fix this. What's the other thing he does? Right? He picks the guys who are complaining and he gives them a good beating. So if they're doing Chet Egel, he gets Levim, and they slaughter 3,000 of them. If it's Baal Pa'or, you know, so he calls down a plague, and there's a plague in 24,000 die. Right? That's just what he does. This is unbelievable. What is a Kosh Baruch? So what goes on? Right? Zacharnu Tadaga. Not only do we want meat, we remember the fish that we ate in Mitzrayim. And not just the fish, the Kishuim, the Avatichim, the Chatzir, the B'tzalim, the Shu, we had onions and garlics, you know, I'm thinking like, this is not just Cholent with the spice, you remember the garlic, and they put the cumin, and the Jack Daniels Cholent. You're sitting with Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay. V'atai, now nafsheinu yevasha, yevesha, we're just like, we're dry toast. You know, you, you gave us uh, pancakes ten days in a row, enough already, Right? Ain Kol, ready for the most chutzpahdik line in the entire Torah. I challenge you to come up with a line that's more disgusting, more chutzpah, like unbelievable. Like this gets the guy kicked out of yeshiva, right? What do they say? They say Ain Kol built All we got is this man. We just get this bread that tastes like anything you want and falls in the heaven. So annoying. I have to go outside and get it. The man and the Torah tells us that man is because they're a god. It's unbelievable, right? Shatuam v'laktu v'tachanu. They would they would grind it. They would cook it. Vayata tamo ketam l'shad l'shemen uvechedet atala l'machanel laylei the man the man would come. This isn't just we have man. So the Torah says, oh, let's talk about the man. Look, you know, it tasted like this. We do this. We grind it. And we come down in the morning. Now, we know this already. Because in Shemot, Perak Zion, it tells us about the man. They want meat. Why are you telling about man? I'm sitting with Scott. And Scott says to me, listen, you know, the guys complained because, uh, you know, they, they're just tired of all the pancakes and the extra pastries we're providing and all the breakfast cereals. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you know, they say all we have is the breakfast cereal and it has like, it comes in a spoon and it's in a box and it's got like little round Cheerios. But I say, Scott, I, I get it. <laughs> so Moshe hears the people crying. All the families, they're all sitting around, they're all getting involved. By the way, does this remind you of anything? 
Pardon? All the families are crying in front of their tents. Next week's parsha, That's what they do. They're, they're mumbling. Right? That there's something about, like, people will mumble in the tent. You know, when you say, is there a problem? People don't always want to say it in public. They're, you know, they don't want to be the one who's making trouble. Maybe. Okay. But, Hashem gets angry. Now that I get. And Moshe says, this is really bad. Now, it doesn't say that it's really bad when they worship a golden calf at the foot of Harsinai. It doesn't say Moshe sees it as really bad when, when, when Jews are sleeping with Midianite princesses and doing a Vodazara. It doesn't even say it's bad when they're complaining about whatever and, and that we're going to get into that. All of a sudden, this is bad. So what should Moshe do now? He's a leader. He should say, what's the matter with you? You came to me uh, on the Tzfat Shabbaton, and we were sitting at Shalashitas, and what a powerful moment. And somebody says, you know, this, this, these vegetables are disgusting. <laughs> and somebody else says, don't eat the vegetables. Well, it might have been a good idea, given what happened afterwards, but okay, right? Be careful, that's Motsi Shemra, and it may not be true. Fine, okay. But, 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 right? So I'd say, like, guys, like, die. Well, what's the matter with you? People were in Buchenwald. Let it go, right? You know, that, I mean, right? No. Moshe. Lama, he talks to Hashem. Now listen to what he says. Lama hareot alavdecha. What are you making my life a misery, giving me these bums with their, with their, with their pancake problems? Lama lo matzati chayn beinecha. You don't like me? This is an unbelievable line. You talk to Kosh Baruch here. You don't like me? Imagine I go one of the board members. Guys complaining about food. I say, you know, I'm miserable here. What are you doing to me? You're making yeshiva? You're, are you kidding me? These guys with their food? This is Moshe Rabbeinu. And this is so important. It's in the Torah. The Torah is taking time to tell me this. This is crazy. Lasumet masak I got to carry this load. Chet carry the load. The water is too bitter. Amalek, carry the load. Baal carry the load. All of a sudden now, we want hamburgers, it's too much. Did I give birth to them? I, 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 I got to bring them up? What am I, nursing a bunch of babies? I got to do this? Where am I going to find meat to give to these people? That's an unbelievable question. What do you mean, where are you going to find meat? I mean, Hashem split the sea. Hashem turns fire and water so they can work together. Hashem allows us to see sound. And there's mud that falls from the heavens every day. If Akash Baruch wants to bring meat, he'll bring meat. The Das Kenimi Baliatosos, basic Tosos, has a great, great svar on this. It's a great vart. He says that uh, we know from the Gemara that um, in order for... The Jews had a lot of cattle. Rashi's going to say this. So it's a bizarre question that they're asking. They had plenty of cattle. We know this from Sukkim. They offered Karban Pesach. They had cattle when they left Mitzrayim. They had, right, Ruvain has an enormous amount of cattle that he wants to settle in Yardain. When they get into Eretz Yisrael and Sefer Yeshua, they have a lot of cattle. So it's an interesting question why they want meat. So the Gemara says that, that when they were, I love it, right? <laughs> Just please don't fall. We got through the year. I'd like to finish the year well, okay? Right? Fall after next week, right? Right? Okay, guys, guys, we're learning Torah, right? So, 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 so Das Kenim says that the Gemara says that when they were in the Midbar, when they were in the desert, 
In order for them to eat meat, they had to bring a carbon. You couldn't just eat meat. You didn't just eat meat to satisfy your time, huh? But if you brought a carbon, if you had a carbon chatas, if you brought a shlamin, then there was a portion of meat you could eat, and that's how you'd eat meat. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, listen, I know they need meat, but if I'm going to eat meat, i got to bring a carbon. If i got to bring a carbon, then the kohanim have to take the animal, they have to shecht it, they have to offer it up, and then they have to eat part of the meat, right? If you have a carbon chatas, you don't finish the obligation until the kohanim eats some of the meat. How many kohanim are there at this point? Three, right? Aaron, Elazar, and Itamar, right? I mean, not even a viewer dead. How are they going to eat all this meat? Sakash Baruch says, what are you worried about me? You worried I'm going to find a solution? I'll bring you Slav. You can't bring Karbanos with Slav. We're covered. It's good. They can eat it. It's a very strange dialogue. And the reason I think that Tosus has to come up with this idea is because the question is ridiculous. It's a crazy question. Pshat? What does this even mean? I can't carry this nation. I just can't do it. Right? Now, you could say that Moshe understands Hashem is angry, so then Moshe understands I'm going to have to do it alone. But where does that come from? We don't find that anywhere else. And if this is what you're doing now, now we know how this normally ends. How does this end by Chet Ego? If you're going to do this to me then... No, that's not what it says here. Hargeni. It's, it's like he has a Jewish mother moment. Just kill me. Just kill me if you're going to do this. You want to stay shut of bed? Kill me. Right? Oh, somebody's going to listen to this. I'm going to get in trouble. But okay. And let me not see that I'm, that I'm bad, that I'm wicked. That I'm, so what is this about? What is Moshe's problem here? What's, what's so terrible about the fact that they want meat. Okay, it's not nice, but it's not so severe. And we know what happens. Hashem says, oh, I'm going to give them meat. I'm going to give you some meat's going to come out of your ears. It's going to come out of your noses. 30 days you're going to eat meat, right? What is this? Now, by the way, it's interesting. You look at the hate that happened right before this, the meat onanim, which is only three psukim, right? It says, am kimit onanim. So Rashi quotes. Uh, what does it say? Kimit onanim, right? Complainers. Mit onanim is a strange word for complaining. Ain mit onanim al lashon alila. Mivakshim alila heachli frosh mechayam akom. They're looking for a pretext. They're looking for an excuse, right? V'cheinu omer b'shimshon ki toanaum vakesh. And when you look at the Gemara, the Gemara starts to talk about it's a rayos, it's a vodazara. It's There's all sorts of terrible things going on here. They complain, right? It doesn't say why they're complaining or what they're complaining, but that's what Chazal says. So Hashem gets angry at them, and they get consumed by fire. So the people call, this is Pasuk Bet. Pasuk Dalit is already our story. So two Pesukim earlier. What does Moshe do when the people cry to Moshe? So Hashem, Moshe davens to Hashem, and the fire goes out, and the plague stops. That's how Moshe works. Over here? Kill me? What, what, how does this work? Right? So, let's take a moment to think about this. Right? The biggest hate that exists in the Torah, probably, is Chet Okay? 
Okay? Jewish people at the foot of Harsinai, and they're worshiping a golden calf. Now, I know that there's a lot of drush on this, but Pshat is pretty bad. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, and, he, and, and Hashem says, Lech reid ki Now, without getting into the whole question, the Gemara talks about this, like, when does Moshe go down, when does he go up, etc. Moshe, Hashem says, Lech reid ki right? Look in Chet uh, Ha'egel. Right? Um, Hashem says, get down, because they become destructive. Chet Right? This is Perak uh, Lamed Bet, right? 32, verse 7, Pasuk right? What does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Does he go down? Of course not. Jewish people are in trouble. He's got to stand up for them. Right? They're off the path. They're off the derech. This is the first official off the derech kid, right? Off the derech. They made a calf. Let me be. I'm going to destroy them. So Moshe understands. It's a Gemara. I got to save them. So Moshe starts to daven. Now, putting aside the whole choreography and the, the itinerary and the schedule, that's what Moshe does. And Moshe offers three arguments, we know, right? Like it's Baltashris, you can't do this. You know, you, you took him out there 200 years, now you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna wipe him out. What a waste, right? What are the guys going to say? They're going to say, we had him for 200 years, you can't even handle him for three months. Remember what you promised Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. Okay. And then Vayinachim Hashem Hashem relents and everything else is everything else. That's how Moshe functions. So clearly by Chet Egel, Moshe is not saying, why'd you make my life so miserable? What am I doing this for? Kill me. He's not saying that. I would have thought, you're standing up on 40 days in Harsinai. You got two luchot in your hand. The Jewish people just experienced the Seres Adibros. They just came seven weeks ago, Yamsuf. I would think that would be where Moshe would lose it. No, that Moshe's okay with. Okay, so there's 3,000 people have to be killed. But all of Amishal that was part of this hate, they get forgiven. So I, I think it would be instructive to understand the difference between Chaita Egel and the Kivrotatava, the complainers, right? <coughs> so Rav Salvechik has a magnificent article on this topic. He gave a Sicha Shmuz on this many, many years this year. And it was actually uh, translated from the Yiddish, and it's written up in Rav Moshe Bezdin's Reflections of the Rav, which is a magnificent, I think it's two volumes now, it's a magnificent set of different sikhot, different uh, shirim of Rav Soloveitchik. I forget the name of this, but if somebody wants to find the name, you can shoot me a WhatsApp, I'll look it up, right? And he, he notes the difference between these two chatayim. And he says a very interesting thing, Okay. But before we go there, one more thing that we have to mention. So Moshe Rabbeinu's problem begins with Lama Hareota, right? If you look in the Pasuk here, um, Lama Hareota Levdecha, right? Why'd you make it so bad for me, for your servant? What does that remind you of? When the Jews complained to him after you went to power the first time? Excellent. If you look in Shmot, if you look in Shmot, right, we can't have a day without a Shanabet joke, right? If you look in Shmot in Parakeh, right, the first time Moshe goes down to Mitzrayim, which is, by the way, the last time Moshe uses this phrase, okay? The only other time he uses this phrase, right? So, let's find it. 
Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Paro. He says, Paro, shlachet ami, send my people, let them go. Paro says, I'm looking in the book, I don't see any God here, right? He's not in the God book. And you're a loser to boot. So here's what I'm going to do. do. You go do some work. We're not going to give them any straw. They're going to still have to make, right? But you better give the same quota of bricks. So the Jewish people are, are, are destroyed under the weight of this new decree. And they complain to Moshe Rabbeinu, like, what would you do to us? So what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Why'd you make it bad for this people? And what would you send me if, if it's going to be, right? And Chazal have a whole discussion about this. And they say, Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem, it's a longer discussion, but Hashem responds to Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Rashi here quotes, just a minute. Um, Atat, Hashem says, Atatireh. Right? Vayom Hashem is the last posuk in Parashat Shemot. Atatire with an ayin. Now you're going to see. Asher esel paro. Now you'll see. Let me do the paro. So Rashi says, what does mean now you'll see? She says, you're going to see that the gula is going to come. But you're not going to enter Eretz Yisrael. That's what Rashi says. Right? Um, um, You have, you doubt what I'm doing. Not like Avram, who when I told him that Yitzchak is going to be the future of the Jewish people, even though he's 99 years old, he didn't worry about it, right? Avram doesn't even question when I tell him to kill his only son. But you, right, you question me. Therefore, now you're going to see. So, as the... Obviously, now you're going to see is therefore there's a problem in what you said, and yet you're going to see you're going to see what I do to Paro, that you're going to merit. But you won't get to see according to Rashi, according to the Medrash, the Gemara in Sanhedrin and right? You're not going to see what I do. You're not going to enter Israel. So the root of Moshe not entering Israel is in his doubting. How Hashem's plan is. So Rav Nevinsal, one of his zichot says, okay, if Moshe's going to merit to see the Gula from Mitzrayim, then obviously he did something right. But if he's not going to merit to enter Eretz Israel, he's going to do something wrong. He obviously did something wrong. So there must be something he did right, something he did wrong. So in fact, if you look at what Moshe says, it's, Lama Lama zeh, Why did you do bad to this people that now they, it's worse for them? And why did you send me? So you may not remember this, but way back on this parasha, or at some point during that Shabbos, I shared with you an idea from Nevinsal. Right? I would have thought that the thing that, that is problematic is it says, Lama Zashachthani, or where do you, like, it's, I'm uncomfortable. So Nevinsal says, look in the Gemara, nope, it's not true. The fact that he says, Lama Hareyot Lama Zeh, is casting aspersions on Hashem's way of doing things, that you can't do. But Lama Zeshlachtani, that if bad is going to happen, I don't have to be the emissary, the vehicle for bringing bad in the world, that Yudavka should do. So what comes out of that whole story is when he says Lama Hareota, what he's basically doing is he's questioning Hashem. And there's a negative consequence to this. So now he says the same thing. He says, Lama Hareota Levdecha. So I would think, therefore, that Hashem should have a problem with this, like he had a problem with this there. Does everybody get this? You know what I'm saying? Right? And yet Hashem doesn't have a problem with this. 
What does Hashem do? We don't have time to do the whole story tonight. Hashem says, okay, asfali shivim skenim, gather 70, you know, we're going to make you a Sanhedrin, you, sh- you shouldn't have to do this alone. Clearly, you can't do this on your own. So not only do we not understand what Moshe's issue is, but whatever Moshe's issue is, Hashem thinks it's okay. That's like you come to me, you start complaining, we're, we're, we're in a Poland trip. And, and we just came out of Auschwitz. And you come over to me and you say, you know, I thought there'd be snacks on the bus. I mean, my mouth would drop open. I, I, so what would I say? So according to this, I should say, oh, you know what? That's a good point. It's a long day. We should have snacks. You know, we're going to stop at the gas station and get good for you. Now it happens to be that happened. He didn't ask it that way. And he was right. And that's what we did. And the reason we did that of this story because Moshe Rabbeinu teaches us what does that mean? <laughs> so I want to tell you it's a true story I want to tell you you don't want to be the guy to ask about the candy bars after Auschwitz but somebody had the guts right? so what's going on here? so I want to share with you an unbelievable idea Your mouth dropped pardon? Your mouth my mouth dropped open right? but I thought you're going to see what I thought so you read that Sadoros that's what we call this <laughs> so from, right. What's the difference between Cheta Egel and wanting meat in the desert? And why is wanting meat in the desert such a huge deal? So it says of Soloveitchik, you know, Cheta Egel, what was the issue the Jewish people have in Cheta Egel? It was an existential problem, right? There's a Gemara in. Hang on, let's see which one it is. There's a Gemara in, in Shabbos, in Dav Peitet, right? It's a great nigga. There's a Gemara in Shabbos, it says like this, right? Fayaram ki Moshe. The people see that Moshe is tarrying. Right? Rashi quotes this Gemara, right? The sof mem yom bas satan The satan confuses the world, right? And they think, right, uh, Right? They think it's the 40th day. It's not really the 40th day. The sudden they think Moshe's dead. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that, a, that, that, that Satan came and, and, you know, showed them a video of Moshe in his coffin. It means in their mind, their Yitzhara was telling them Moshe's dead. Right? What was their issue? They're missing Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, if you do something that's problematic next week, because you're missing. Like, let's say, for example, you're sitting in, you're in university, and you go to a class, and there's a professor giving a class, and you just, you miss learning Torah so much. You just can't. So, like, I don't know, the Holodeca Rebbe is sitting next to the hammer, right? And, and Michael Hammer turns to him and says, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Science, I can't do this. I need some Baba Basra. So Josh Hall realizes it's a problem. So he pulls out a Baba Basra and says, okay, let's look. We're doing Baba Kama. Let's talk Arba Avasuzikin, right? And the professor looks up and he sees two guys are learning and they're talking and they're getting into it. And Michael says, that can't be. Tosos can't be. And the whole class looks around. That would be, what would you call that? That'd be a Chil Hashem. You're in the, sitting in the middle of class. You're in a professor's class. You don't sit and learn loud, loud in the middle of class. But if you're going to do a Chil Hashem, that's a good Chil Hashem to do. That was Chayta Egel. In fact, the Zohar says, Al Tikri Egel Ela Igul. Right? A circle. Why do I think the Zohar is saying that? Because the problem the Jewish people had in Chayta Egel, 
And forget Hashem runs the world. That'd be ridiculous. They just got out of Mitzrayim, they just went through Yamsuf, and they just saw a Kirsh Baruch Hu. They heard a Kirsh Baruch Hu. They experienced the Aseris Adibros. Not possible with the God Hashem. Their problem was, after you've experienced that intense, revelatory experience of God, what do you do? How do you get up the next morning? What, what do you do? You know, you just, you just found God. How do you go to work? We need to find a way to, to move on. So they're trying to find a way to connect to Kosh Baruch. If you think about it, by the way, the story of Chet Eger is a microcosm of the Rambam's introduction to Elchaz Right? How did they get from worshipping Hashem to worshipping an eagle? They were trying to find some way to relate to Kosh Baruch. That's exactly what Chet Eger is. So even though it's a huge Chet, it's a huge mistake, it's an existential challenge. Right? It's, it's, it's people struggling with meaning. It's people wanting to know why we're here. You know? You meet an, a, a kid comes to a writer and he walks over me on the second day, let's say, and he says, I just don't believe God exists. I, I don't know if there is a God, I don't know what God is, and I think, I, I'll be honest with you, I came to check this out, but I think it's crazy that people think there's a God after the Holocaust. That is an awesome question. Awesome. That's what you're doing here. That's phenomenal. So obviously, you know, I wouldn't say you should marry my daughter, you know, like, let's give it a while, right? But that's an existential question. That's a person who's struggling with meaning. But if a guy comes to me on the second day and he says, you know, I came in, there's no basketball court. What do you do with that? Like, what do you do with that? Like, that's what you're doing here? We're in the old city? You could throw a rock and it would land on Harabayat? You know? Rav never so... I know, that's funny. Poor choice, okay, right? You could run for five minutes. You're a 60 second walk of my, and that's what you're worried about? You're worried about burgers and pizza? That's not existentialism. That's paganism. That is a pagan. Now, let's take a moment. What's the difference? Right? We just include, people say, I've heard people say pagan like idolatry, paganism. Idolatry and paganism are not the same thing. Idolatrism, idolatry, that's interesting, idolatry leads to paganism. In fact, Chazal believed it would inevitably lead to paganism. But that doesn't mean that a person who's a pagan is an Avodah So what is Avodah Zarah? Avodah Zarah, right, is um, a worshipping either of idols that you believe themselves carry some mystical sort of power or represent powers like the Native Americans who worship the earth because they believe the earth was Mother Earth or whatever it was, right? They, they worshipped the beauty of nature, the power of nature, the physicality of nature, Right? Paganism is the result of that. Paganism is a culture which immerses itself in the physical, which believes that the, the body is beautiful, that, 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 that thinks that you know, satisfying our needs is an ideal, that a person should be able to do what he wants, there's nothing wrong with it. That's paganism. Now, I would venture to say that traditional idolatry doesn't really exist in that form in the Western world. And if it does, it's rare. There are still cultures that are idolatrous, but America isn't idolatrous. But paganism is alive and well in America. It's very much with us. Right? Pagan behavior means that what's important to me is the physical. In fact, the more pagan I am, the less meaning I need. Because I find meaning in the physical. Right? You know, th there's a type of paganism which basically says that the ultimate goal in life is to seek pleasure. As a philosophy. And if something feels good, that's what I should do. 
And a person who holds himself back, you know, um, I once uh, had a fellow in Israelite, and he believed that a lot of the things that Judaism teaches that you should sort of limit yourself in order to come. He had a problem with the limits. He said, I don't understand the whole issue of, you know, Sheikh Vazer Levatala, of Onanut, of, you know, masturbation, right? It's unhealthy, he said. You know, a person should, if it gives you pleasure, why not? God created, if you believe in God, then God created us to have pleasure. You should pleasure yourself. And I said to him, you're a pagan. Now you know what you are. You're a mamash pagan. A poofakir pagan, right? Judaism is the antithesis of paganism. Pardon? What did he say back? Oh, that's a longer discussion, right? That comes with the children, right? Okay? That's paganism. The people who were saying, they have cattle already, right? The, the, the Torah Tamima, right? Torah Tamima says, um, if I get it, um, they weren't just looking for meat. They were, they were looking to run away from limitations, obligations, and meaning. I think Martin Shabbos Davkuf Tetzayim says, remember I mentioned before in the Musa Shmuz that, that Vahibin Saaron is in between two Puranuyot, according to the Gemara, and the first Puranuyot, the first calamity, that we don't want to have too many calamities next to each other, whatever that means, right, is, you know, Vahisu Maharashem. The Gemara says Vahisu Maharashem, they, they, they were trying to get away from Akash Baruch Why? Because they were afraid if they stayed there, they'd get more mitzvahs. Like, enough already, 630, oh my God, let's get out of here, right? So, what does that mean? It means they, they don't want more meaning. They just want to have a good time. The kid runs away from school because he wants to play ball. He wants to have a good time. He's interested in pleasure. He's not interested in meaning. Now, if you're a five-year-old, that's healthy. Right? A five-year-old who doesn't want to play ball and doesn't want to play games with other kids and only wants his deep existential discussion, you get nervous about that kid. That's, he's going to be the monk and never get married. Right? Or he'll become a madrich or a writer and then he'll get married. <laughs> so, no, I'm not doing it. Right? So, so... Right? So, so this is paganism. Right? Shesaru mechre Hashem. Zacharnu tadaga asher achalnu b'mitzrayim. What is zacharnu tadaga asher achalnu b'mitzrayim? Right? So, the Torah to me explains what they really remember, the daga, fish. Fish are considered, sort of, they multiply. Two fish make thousands of fish. Right? That's not exactly how the Torah presents it. And therefore, the Gemara says, fish represent arayos. Let me see if I can find that in a second, then I'll quote it to you. But if not, then I won't. Um, um, one second. Says, oh, you know what? It's in here. Oh, sorry. Zachar no tadaga. Right? So Zachar no tadaga. So where's Rashi say? Zachar no tadaga. They don't have meat. They have plenty of meat. Right? They're not looking for more. They have meat. They just, they want to get out of whatever it is they want to get out of. They want more meat. In fact, if you look later on in the Pasuk, 
What does the Pasuk say? It says that when Hashem rains the Slav down, they pick all day. Right? And until there's mounds of, of Slav all around. You can look it up in the Pasuk. What does that mean? That's not a person who goes to get a burger. And it's interesting. Why does the Torah make a point of comparing the Slav of, of, of this desire for meat to the man? Right? But why is it contrasted to the man? Because the man, in the man, they pick exactly what they need. What does the Pasuk say by the man in Perak Tetzayin? Laktumi menu ish lofiachlo. This is in Perak Tetzayin and Shemot. Pasuk Tetzayin. Easy Pasuk to remember. Tetzayin, Tetzayin. 1616. Each person picks exactly what he needs. Fayil katu amar Some pick more, some pick less. But, right? Vayamodu baomer. They measure it exactly. The person who picked more didn't have extra, and the person who picked less, it was just enough what they needed. In other words, there's nothing wrong with taking a little pleasure, but it was a limited pleasure. They understood even in pleasure, even needing, that we should have limits. Right? The Rambam, eat till three quarters, you don't have to stuff your face. The hedonist, the pagan, on the other hand, he can't get enough. Right? Now, what's interesting about this is why Moshe sees this as a problem. You see, Moshe is the Rav. He's the Rav. He's Moshe Rabbeinu. And the way Moshe deals with things is bold. It's daring. Right? Rav Zolvechik says, Vayichal is a Lashon of, of boldness, of daring. Of The Gemara says, the Gemara in... Uh, is it... Uh, the Gemara in Brachos says... This is in, in Brachos and Daflamet Beis. I'm a Rebbe Avau. Il Malei Mikra Katuvi of Shalom Rov. If the puzzle didn't say this, you couldn't say this. This is such a radical thing to say. Malame Chetafso Moshe LaKadosh Baruch Hu Ke Adam Shu Tofes at Chaverov Bebigdo. Right? Hashem says, "Hereth me, leave me be." Moshe grabs him by the coattails. I will not let you go. He grabs a Baruch Hu. You listen to me. Unbelievable. A chutzpah. Moshe was a bold leader. And he was willing to be bold. And he doesn't let a Baruch Hu off the hook. Because he's an educator. And when a person comes with an existential question, he can respect that, he can deal with it. But a pagan... A Rav can't deal with a pagan. To deal with a pagan, you got to be a meneket. You got to be a nursemaid. You got to take the kid and put him in your chaykecha. What does that mean? So Salvechik says you have to almost cancel a part of your identity. You, you give up your, of yourself just for this child, even though what the child wants is ridiculous. Like there are real issues in life. This child just you know he just wants a candy bar. He's three years old. But that's what the child needs. The child needs the candy bar. Right? Pagans, they're just like lusting after nature. They're takers. That's all they want. Moshe Rabbeinu is looking for people who want to figure out what they're meant to give. What the world is supposed to be about. Right? So Moshe the Rav suddenly understands that he has to be Moshe the Meneket. And the Torah doesn't end here. Moshe has to adjust to this role. Now I would argue that we're living in a world, right, where the rav isn't enough. We're living in a world that's full of hedonism. And we're affected by this, whether we realize it or not. Right? If somebody from 100 years ago in Poland 
came to my house, they would think I was Bill Gates. I live in a house with a deck. I mean, we have like, I don't know, four or five bathrooms in our house. It's like, I mean, you know, we built it over years. We started out that eventually we made the Merpesset into a bedroom. Then more kids were born, we made the other rooms better. But like, you know, we have guest rooms. Who had a guest room in the shtetl? They would think I was wealthy. And this is normal for us, right? We're carrying around Wikipedia and, and, and Safari in our pockets. We don't even understand how much we pleasure ourselves, how much we, 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 we're used to it. Like you're hungry and there's just food. When I was a kid, there was no nosh in the house. I don't remember as a kid, I would go to the kitchen and see if there was nosh. We wouldn't do that. We had a meal. And on Shabbos, there were treats. You could go get a treat on Shabbos. But during the week, you finished dinner, and that was it. There was no problem with a guy getting overweight at night at 10 o'clock. There was nothing to eat. I mean, there were hot dogs and hamburgers, and you had them for dinner, and that was it. It was finished. That's the way we lived. Today, psh. In fact, I saw an interesting article on this. When I was a kid, if you had a bag of dinner chips, it was like this size. Today, they have these massive bags. And this used to be like a big deal for the party. In fact, if you look on them, some of them still say party size. But today those bags are not party size. They're just like what I have for 20 minutes a night. We, we have 18 portions in one bag. And one bag isn't enough. You've got to have three. One to eat now, one to eat when you're stuffed, and one just in case you get hungry later. We're hedonists. Now, if this is where we're at, that requires a different type of attention. Right? Today being a rav is not enough. Right? The student doesn't just need the brilliant idea. Right? Moshe was uncompromising. Yikova Din Tahar. He was Din. Aaron was the Rebbe. Aaron was the one who was Oev Shalom, Rodev Shalom. Moshe discovers now he has to be a little bit of both. It's not enough just to give the brilliant idea. You have to give him the warm embrace. It's not enough, right, to, 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 to challenge him. You have to be sympathetic and understanding. You know? And, and, and just to finish it off, that army example for me was the ultimate example. If I would have told my commander that I had an ingrown toenail, if I was lucky, they would have laughed me out of the unit. I would have been running around the base for hours. How's the ingrown toenail? Do another two slips. Now, you could make a case for saying that therefore the soldiers became tougher. It could be. But you have to know who the generation is. This generation, if they do that to them, they'll break. That doesn't do anybody any good. You have to know who it is you're talking about. Baruch says to Moshe, you're right. You're right. These are hedonists. And, and, and you can't deal with the hedonists on your own. Because that's not who you are. So we're going to give you Shiv Miskenim. Because this is what they need. In fact, they need, they need so much of it. We're going to give them 30 days of it. Can you imagine if guys say to me in Auschwitz, like, you know, we need candy bars. So the next day I show up with four boxes of candy bars. They may want Nestle's crunch. You want like you'd look at me like, where's the ethics in this? So even though in the end they get sick of it because they're learning something, he's still feeding their hedonism, right? Because the generation needs that. That's what this hate is. This hate is Moshe Rabbeinu's perspective is you have to know where the Am is, but from the Am's perspective, this is paganism. Paganism is the antithesis of Judaism. What is the best pasuk you can think of? that you say every day to tell me that paganism, the pursuit of pleasure, is not what you should be doing. It's in the Shema. Don't follow what your heart wants. Like, not everything you want is what you should have. That balance, that's Pasha Balotcha.
right? And I believe, by the way, the reason Velotaturu comes at the end of Shlach is because the ultimate end of this is what happens in Chet Amaraglim. But that we'll get to, Bezrat Hashem, next week. I will ask you an interesting question. Could a person wanting Torah be hedonistic about it? Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.